Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Bunga Cast. It's Friday, the 20th of May. My name is Alex Hokuli. I'm here with Philip Cunliffe. Hello, Philip. Hi. And with George Hor. Hello. Hello, Alex. Hello. Hello, boys. Um, we're here to discuss inflation in another three articles. Uh, if you don't know, three articles is a place where we review news and opinion and analysis pieces on a specific issue as a way of trying to stake a claim and develop a perspective on contemporary political problems. Uh, last time we dealt with France, before that with Ukraine, and now we are dealing with inflation. Of course, the issue, the big issue of the moment. Uh, and we've got three different pieces from different perspectives, providing a different type of analysis, and we're going to review them and try to uh, yeah, provide a perspective on them. So to start off, uh, I'm going to start actually today. Um, what I've got is a, a piece by Adam Tews in his chart book, which is always excellent. Um, and he looks at various analysis of what drives inflation. Um, this is something that came out on May 17th, so just a couple of days ago. Um, so Adam Tews starts off by noting, obviously, that uh, the impact on household budgets is being felt, especially on the least well-off, that there's a cost of living crisis, um, but you know, poses the important question, where is this coming from? Uh, he looks at various analyses carried out by bankers, by policy institutes, by think tanks, and so on, uh, and notes that, first of all, um, based on one sort of study in the US, there's been a real change between the inflation that we're seeing since 2020 and the inflation that was seen between 1979 and 2019, effectively the whole neoliberal period. During the whole neoliberal period, what the largest element that accounted for um, inflation was unit labor costs, which is primarily wages, but not only. Uh, Non-labor input costs, for example, things like energy um, and corporate profits had less of a factor in rising inflation. Today, that picture has completely flipped around. So in the past uh, year and a half or so, what has mainly accounted for the rise in prices is corporate profits. And unit labor costs are like a minor part of that. So you're basically talking about corporate profits and rising energy prices, which are behind uh, the rise in prices. Um, He goes on to note and look through uh, various indices looking at how real wages are falling. They're falling in the Eurozone, um, which is to say you know, that nominal wages, um, the increased nominal wages is falling below the rate of inflation. Um, and this is a, a factor that um, you know, seems to be continuing, right? But he asks, you know, what could cause this imbalance to shift effectively that the rich are you know, doing well, um, corporate profits are doing well, and uh, you know, people are being uh, squeezed by the fact that their wages are stagnant or rising very slowly while prices are really biting. Um, and he looks at the data and you know, comes to the conclusion, which we've discussed a bunch on this podcast before, which is basically that you know, trade union density it continues to decline. Um, the basic means for workers to have leverage um, has declined. And so the prospect for rising wages seems to be pretty slim, pretty unlikely. Um, and in fact, there's even uh, the, the correlation between wages and price inflation seems to have gone negative, which is to say um, there doesn't even seem to be much of a relationship or hasn't been in recent years um, between rising wages and price inflation. So it's coming from somewhere else. 
But how could workers respond effectively to these rising wages? What could cause um, what the, the kind of dreaded element of the late 70s, which is a wage price spiral where wages rise to keep uh, in line with prices and prices rise in, in tandem and, and it spirals upwards. Um, but, you know, Tews is basically looking at how this could happen in a way as how workers could catch up and have their wages rise to account for rising prices. Um, and so he kind of goes and anal analyzes, um, you know, where different um, wages have risen recently, for example. So, you know, you've, we've seen this in the US recently, and that's mainly been down to tighter labor markets rather than workers' own activity, you know, trade union organizing and bargaining and so on. Um, and one interesting thing uh, taken from uh, an analysis done by Matt Klein at Overshoot uh, is that the restaurant meal actually is a way of capturing the entire economy in microcosm. Workers cook meals, take orders, clean using a mix of durable and perishable ingredients. The owner has to rent a venue with a kitchen and comply with local regulations. Uh, and since dining at a, re as a restaurant is a luxury for most people, uh, the willingness to spend and tip is going to be sensitive to their own financial situation. So actually it can, it can provide a pretty good picture um, in microcosm of the broader price index. And what you find certainly in the US is like the, the, the kind of restaurant score, as it were, shooting up massively. You know, it's kind of... Um, kind of fluctuated around zero for a long time, and now it's shot up to nearly 10%. So that's, um, that's quite stark. Um, but the question is, you know, rising wages in the restaurant industry in the US, for example, don't tend to spill over to other areas. So for all the talk of new uh, organizing in these sectors, you know, there's all this talk about um, unionizing at different Starbucks um, Starbucks units in, across the US, that doesn't tend to spill over into uh, the rest of the economy. And, you know, as, as kind of those sort, sorts of service jobs are only a small proportion of the wider labor force, it doesn't have that much impact. Um, so, but what actually does have an impact is manufacturing wages. Um, and manufacturing wages seem to have risen a little bit. Um, and meanwhile, the only area where there has been a very clear market kind of uh, attempt to keep pace with prices uh, is public sector wages and public sector wages don't seem to have this spillover. Um, so it still remains a question of where uh, the kind of impetus could emerge from for wages to uh, push upwards to keep track with prices so that um, people's real incomes actually rise rather than fall as they have been doing recently. Uh, Adam Tews notes that the crucial thing to remember is that workers are not the only actors who might generate these spillover effects. As the data for profits show, corporations and management have not been idle. They clearly sensed an opportunity in the aftermath of COVID and have seized it. The question is whether other social forces could do so too. So um, I think I'll leave that there. There's some other political points towards the end of it, which we can pick out in our discussion. Yeah, it's a really good piece. Um, and I think, in fact, I would say, I mean, it's uh, it's one of a number of very kind of thoughtful and smart pieces that have come out on inflation, um, which go beyond just the kind of technical aspects of what's happening and you know, how far it stacks up with economic theory, but also thinking of it more broadly in terms of the political economy of it, I suppose. And one of those pieces, in fact, I mean, We'll be discussing um, shortly the Compact Magazine piece by Christopher Caldwell. Um, 
So I suppose the only other, the two points that I, in addition to what you were saying, Alex, the two points or a few points that I took from this is for all the kind of, um, I suppose, the celebration over Chris Smalls and the union organizing victory at the Amazon plant, um, the numbers, you know, the data that um, Adam Tease presents here puts it in perspective that there is really no turnaround in labor organizing. So there's lots of... Um, kind of anticipation with a tighter labor market there's anticipation of this kind of wage shock that never actually never actually arrives um and interestingly he also notes something you didn't mention is that the even though there is no kind of mechanism for the classic wage price spiral um markets are nonetheless kind of if you look at um, what markets have kind of built into their expectations they're assuming there is going to be inflation on the basis of wages rising, despite mm. the fact that there's no obvious kind of transmission mechanism for that effect to take place. Um, so, you know, that's really, I thought that, you know, that's worth kind of keeping in perspective in terms of all the, um, all the kind of hullabaloo over the um, union victory over Amazon in, you know, kind of one, uh, one Amazon unit. The other aspect which he finishes on and is really good is to understand and he says that this is a kind of a significant shift in the way people are thinking about it is to understand um, the question of distribution, not only in terms of income and the fact that corporate, you know, the wealthy and the corporations have captured so much income relative to labor, but also in terms of a distribution of power of collective and institutional bargain, bargaining power. And so inflation is not only a question of um, where income goes, but also who has the capacity to re, you know, kind of distribute the costs of inflation through their institutional presence in the economy. And obviously without collective labor, without labor organizations, um, workers of necessity bear the brunt. Yeah. I mean, I think the, probably the most, or one of the most useful bits of the, the whole article, which, and I, I think it's asking the right question here, what, what is driving inflation what's causing it is the is the chart that he starts with it's, it's really striking hey there you've reached the end of a short excerpt from an episode that's been released only to our patrons if you'd like to join us and gain access to around two patreon exclusive episodes a month please go to patreon.com slash we'd love to have you